Chapter Three of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One by Eliza Haywood. Chapter Three. Affords matter of condolence or raillery, according to the humor the reader happens to be in for either. We often see that the less encouragement is given to the lover's suit, with the more warmth and eagerness he prosecutes it, and many people are apt to ascribe this hopeless perseverance to an odd perverseness in the very nature of love. But, for my part, I rather take it to proceed from an ambition of surmounting difficulties. It is not, however, my province to enter into any discussion of so nice a point. I deal only in matters of fact, and shall not meddle with definition. It was not till after Miss Betsy had reason to believe she had engaged the heart of her lover too far for him to recall it, that she began to take a pride in tormenting him. While she looked on his addresses, as of a piece with those who called themselves her admirers, she had treated him in that manner which she thought would most conduce him to make him really so. But no sooner did she perceive, by the tokens before mentioned and many others, that his passion was of the most serious nature, than she behaved to him in a fashion quite the reverse, especially before company for as she had not the least affection or even a liking toward him, his submissive deportment under the most cold, sometimes contemptuous carriage could afford her no other satisfaction than, as she fancied, it showed the power of her beauty, and piqued those ladies of her acquaintance who could not boast of such an implicit resignation and patient suffering from their lovers. In particular, Miss Flora, who she could not forbear imagining, looked very grave on the occasion. What foundation there was for a conjecture of this nature was nevertheless undiscoverable till a long time after. As this courtship was no secret to any of the family, Mr. Goodman thought himself obliged, both as the guardian of Miss Betsy and the friend of Alderman Saving, for so the father of this young enamorado was called, to inquire upon what footing it stood. He thought that if the old man knew and approved of his son's inclinations, he would have mentioned the affair to him, as they frequently saw each other, and it seemed to him neither for the interest nor reputation of his fair charge to receive the clandestine addresses of any man whatsoever. She had a handsome fortune of her own, and he thought that, and her personal accomplishments, sufficiently to entitle her to as good a match as Mr. Saving, but then he knew the sordid nature of the aldermen, and that all the merits of Miss Betsy would add nothing in the balance if her money was found too light to pose against the sums his son would be possessed of. This being the case, he doubted not but that he was kept in ignorance of the young man's intentions, and fearing the matter might be carried too far, resolved either to put a stop to it at once, or permitted to go on on such terms as should free him from all censor from the one or the other party. On talking seriously to the lover, he soon found the suggestions he had entertained had not deceived him. 
young saving frankly confessed that his father had other views for him but added that if he could prevail on the young lady to marry him he did not despair but that when the thing was once done and past recall the alderman would by degrees receive them into favour you know sir said he that he has no child but me nor any kindred for whom he has the least regard and it cannot be supposed that he would utterly discard me for following my inclinations in this point especially as they are in favour of the most amiable and deserving of her sex he said much more on this head but it had no weight with the merchant he answered that if the alderman was of his way of thinking that all the flattering hopes his passion suggested to him on that score might be realized but that according to the disposition he knew him to be of he saw but little room to think he would forgive a step of this kind therefore continued he i cannot allow this love affair to be prosecuted any further and must desire you will desist visiting at my house till you have either conquered this inclination or miss betsy is otherwise disposed of this was a cruel sentence for the truly affectionate saving but he found it in vain to solicit a repeal of it and all he could obtain from him was a promise to say nothing of what had passed to the alderman mr goodman would have thought he had but half completed his duty had he neglected to sound the inclination of miss betsy on this account and in order to come more easily at the truth he began with talking to her in a manner which might make her look on him rather as a favourer of mr saving's pretensions than the contrary and was extremely glad to find by her replies how indifferent that young lover was to her he then acquainted her with the resolution he had taken and the discourse he had just had with him and to keep her from ever after encouraging the addresses of any man without being authorized by the consent of friends on both sides represented in the most pathetic terms he was able the danger to which a private correspondence renders a young woman liable she seemed convinced of the truth of what he said and promised to follow in the strictest manner his advice whether she thought herself in reality so much obliged to the conduct of her guardian in this i will not take upon me to say for though she was not charmed with the person of mr saving it is certain she took an infinite pleasure in the acidities of his passion it is therefore highly probable that she might imagine he meddled in this affair more than he had any occasion to have done she had however but little time for reflection on her guardian's behaviour an accident happening which showed her own to her in a light very different from what she had ever seen it lady mellison had a ball at her house there was a great deal of company among whom was a gentleman named galand he was a man of family had a large estate sung danced spoke french dressed well frequent successes among the women had rendered him extremely vain and as he had too great an admiration for his own person to be possessed of any great share of it for that of any other he enjoyed the pleasures of love without being sensible of the pains this darling of the fair it was that miss betsy picked out to treat with the most peculiar marks of esteem whenever she had a mind to give umbrage to poor saving 
Much had that faithful lover suffered on the account of this fop, but the fair inflictor of his torments was punished for her insensibility and ingratitude by a way her inexperience of the world and the temper of mankind in general had made her far from apprehending. While the company were employed, some in dancing, and others in particular conversation, the beau found an opportunity to slip into Miss Betsy's hand a little billet, saying to her at the same time, "'You have got my heart, and this little bit of paper will convey to you the sentiments it is inspired with in your favor." She, imagining it was either a sonnet or epistle in praise of her beauty, received it with a smile and put it into her pocket. After everybody had taken leave and she was retired to her chamber, she examined it, and found, to her great astonishment, the contents as follow. Dear Miss, I must certainly be either the most ungrateful or most consumedly dull fellow upon earth, not to have returned the advances you have been so kind to make me, had the least opportunity offered for my doing so. But Lady Mellison, her daughter, the fool's saving or some impertinent creature or other, has always been in the way, so that there was not a possibility of giving you even the least earnest of love. But, my dear, I have found out a way to pay you the whole sum with interest, which is this. You must invent some excuse for going out alone, and let me know by a billet directed for me at White's the exact hour, and I will wait for you at the corner of the street in a hackney coach, the window drawn up, and whirl you to a pretty snug place I know of, where we may pass a delicious hour or two, without a soul to interrupt our pleasures. Let me find a line from you to-morrow, if you can any way contrive it, being impatient to convince you how much I am your dear creature, yours, etc., etc., J. Galand. Impossible is it to express the mingled emotions of shame, surprise, and indignation which filled the breast of Miss Betsy on reading this bold invitation. She threw the letter to the ground, she stamped upon it, she spurned it, and would have treated the author in the same manner had he been present. But the first transports of so just a resentment being over, a consciousness of having, by a too free behavior toward him, emboldened him to take this liberty, involved her in the utmost confusion, and she was little less enraged with herself than she had reason to be with him. She could have tore out her very eyes for having affected to look kindly on a wretch who durst presume so far on her supposed affection, and though she spared those pretty twinklers that violence, she half drowned their luster in a deluge of tears. Never was a night passed in more cruel anxieties than what she sustained, both from the affront she had received and reflection that it was chiefly the folly of her own conduct which had brought it on her, and what greatly added to her vexation was the uncertainty how it would best become her to act on an occasion which appeared so extraordinary to her. She had no friend whom she thought it proper to consult. She was ashamed to relate the story to any of the discreet and serious part of her acquaintance. She feared their reproofs for having counterfeited a tenderness for a man which she was now sensible she ought, if it had been real, rather to have concealed with the utmost care, both from him and all the world. 
and as for Lady Mellison and Miss Flora, though their conduct inspired her not with any manner of awe, yet she thought she saw something in those ladies which did not promise much sincerity, and showed as if they would rather turn her complaints into ridicule than afford her that cordial and friendly advice that she stood in need of. These were the reasons which determined her to keep the whole thing a secret from every one. At first she was tempted to write to Galand and testify her disdain of his presumption in terms which should convince him how grossly his vanity had imposed upon him, but she afterward considered that a letter from her was doing him too much honor, and though never so reproachful, might draw another from him, either to excuse and beg pardon for the temerity of the former, or possibly to affront her a second time by defending it and repeating his request. She despised and hated him too much to engage in a correspondence with him of any kind, and therefore resolved, as it was certainly most prudent, not to let him have anything under her hand, but when next she saw him, to show her resentment by such ways as occasion should permit. He came not to Mr. Goodman's, however, for three days, possibly waiting that time for a letter from Miss Betsy. But on the fourth he appeared at Lady Mellison's tea-table. There were, besides the family, several others present so that he had not an opportunity of speaking in private to Miss Betsy. But the looks she gave him, so different from all he had ever seen her assume toward him, might have shown any man not blinded with his vanity how much she was offended. But he imagined her ill-humor proceeded only from the want of means to send to him, came again the next day, and happening to find her alone in the parlor, what my dear said he taking her in a free manner by the hand have you been so closely watched by your guardian and guardianesses here that no kind moment offer for you to answer the desires of your humble servant the surest guardians of my fame and peace replied she snatching her hand away is the little share of understanding i am mistress of which i hope will always be sufficient to defend my honour in more dangerous attacks than the rude impertinencies of an idle coxcomb. These words, and the air with which they were spoke, one would think should have struck with confusion the person to whom they were directed. But Galand was not so easily put out of countenance, and looking her full in the face, "'Ah, child!' cried he, "'sure you are not in your right senses to-day. Understanding? Impertinencies? Idle coxcomb? Very pleasant, I faith. But upon my soul, if you think these airs become you, you are the most mistaken woman in the world. It may be so, cried she, ready to burst with inward spite at his insolence, but I should be yet more mistaken if I were capable of thinking a wretch like you worthy of anything but contempt. With these words she flung out of the room, and he pursued her with a hoarse laugh till she was out of hearing, and then went into the dining-room where he found Lady Mellison and several who had come to visit her. Miss Betsy, who had gone directly to her own chamber, sent to excuse coming down to tea, pretending a violent headache, nor would be prevailed upon to join the company till she heard Galen had taken his leave, which he did much sooner than usual, 
being probably a good deal disconcerted at the shock his vanity had received. End of chapter 3 Reading by Joyce Martin